tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations. 19 minutes after 11 and we are straight in the closet conversation but before we we start let let me tell you i'm a bit calmer now so i'm going to tell you what my experience was like okay and i'm going to try and make sure that i remain calm if you're an avid listener to the late night conversations um the beginning of this year we had a conversation with the the now late howard dabonski um and 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 i was asking the question around the 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 a renewal of driver's licenses. And if you can remember, it was straight after the Minister of Transport had said that there's an extension to those due to COVID-19 and the restrictions at traffic departments. So it was extended until the end of August, but subsequently government has extended it until the end of uh, December. And uh, you, ca- you can't just walk in the way we used to uh, pre-COVID-19 into a traffic department, right? So you have to book online. I have been struggling since <laughs> I mean, uh, the beginning of the year, the first quarter of the year to book. I've been struggling because every time I go online, every single province has no available spots for me to go in. So my driver's license is still not okay. On Tuesday, um, I decided, let me drive to the closest uh, traffic department and perhaps ask, maybe I'm not getting the system right. I I got there, lo and behold, I couldn't even enter. The security guard said, there's nothing anyone can do for me. I need to go online. I need to be patient. I need to try to get hold of it either early in the morning or late in the afternoon. They have no authority of giving dates. So five minutes before I get to work, there's a huge roadblock, and rightfully so. I mean, it's in the evening, we've got lockdown regulations, and I'm used to getting these roadblocks, but this time it was purely saps. No metropolis, purely saps. And the gentleman who stopped me was clearly not aware that there's an extension, and I was in trouble because my driver's license is expired, and he was still under the the notion that the extension was until the 1st of August, and uh, yeah, so... I was held back. I had to try and explain. I had to say I'm five minutes from work. Can I please get to work? And I was just in trouble because here I am trying to explain something that I thought our law enforcement officers would know. So, yeah, I was, I was flustered and frustrated. But life goes on and the show has been going on, right? So let's get into it. You know what happened now? Um, and if you experience such a, you know, a thing on the roads, the one thing I remember Howard saying was always stay calm and respectful. And that's what I did. But when I got into the studio, my eyes were bloodshot red and I was just flustered, flustered because my time was wasted. And I said, team, please uh, back me here. Let me hear some music so that at least uh, yeah, I can go on air and, and sound okay. So stay calm at all times. Stay calm. Closet conversation time. No one under the age of 18 should be tuned in. Let's welcome Dr. Anthony Smith, who's a, a family physician and a medical sexologist. Dr. Anthony Smith, welcome. It's been a while. We've missed you. Hi, Patricia. Good to be with you again. Today, we are talking female sexual problems. And as a female, I don't like hearing that we've got sexual problems. It's nice when we talk about the guys. It's nice when we have to point fingers. But now when all the fingers are pointing at us, ish. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling this evening. So what what is the most prevalent uh, sexual 
um, challenge that women face and you, you get either the men in their lives coming to your practice for or they themselves coming into your practice and saying please help well I, I think Patricia the first thing that I want to say and you know um, I'm very very mindful that um, I'm speaking as a man but also as a, a sexual medical practitioner um, and and really don't pretend to be speaking for a woman on, on in any way um, and really trying to be, um, you know, presenting an objective point of view, which um, which is reflected in the science and in clinical experience. Um, so I think it's important to just preface anything I'm saying with that. But overall, the most common problem encountered by women is that of sexual desire, that of complaining that they um, are not having um, enough sexual thoughts, um, that they aren't having sexual feelings, that they're not experiencing sexual feelings, they don't want sex, they're not interested or inclined to have sex. Um, and that this causes discomfort. The core part of the problem is that this causes this, uh, that it causes a degree of suffering and, and unhappiness. And it's important to qualify it this way because there's an interesting thing that happens is that younger people, younger women, uh, tend to be um, a lot more unhappy about this fact, and you can understand it's for good reason. So it's not just the fact of not feeling sexual, um, because as you get older, you may not feel sexual, but actually your discomfort by it isn't quite as bad. So it also is very individual, and of course everything that I say tonight is, is highly specific to that individual person who's experiencing it, and we're going to talk in general, generalities to some degree, but everybody experiences their own sexuality in a very particular and unique way. A-teamers, uh, I'm going to ask you to please open up. We are in the closet. Uh, no sensitive people are listening and no children are listening. You can call in and share your experience. As a female, what are the challenges that you're facing? What have you been asking yourself about your sexual life and your sexual abilities and you want some help? Please call in. And if you're a guy and you've noticed that your partner is just it's just not hitting the notes anymore. There are some issues. And you want to know how you can help your partner. Um, ask the questions. You can be anonymous when you call in because it's the closet. 011-714-2006. WhatsApp voice notes and messages can go to 614 I see my SMS line is currently down. So maybe just stick to those WhatsApps and also please just call in. Um, so, Dr. Smith, you're saying that the most prevalent challenge, and yes, it is personal to each individual, is that of um, a, a lack or a decrease or of interest in, in a sex or arousal. What causes this in women? And I'm, I'm very shocked that it happens m even to younger women. Yes, I mean, there's usually this thought that it's only older women who are experiencing this, but this happens across the board. Uh, it's more frequent as you get older because there's more biological, physiological reasons for why it could happen, but it's still relatively common at younger ages. And the, the prevalence at any one time is between 20 and 45%. So it's quite high and it's quite common. Um, and I think it's important to say that because if you are, if a woman is experiencing this, they, they, they also shouldn't feel too bad about themselves knowing that it is something that many women will experience at a certain time um, and come out of it the other, the other end, depending 
on what's happening to them at that, at that particular point. And just to say, before I talk a little bit more about it, the other major problems are issues of orgasm, not, not experiencing it, never having experienced it, or having lost the capacity to experience it. And the other major problem are what we call genitourinary pelvic pain problems, which is pain in the pelvis. Well, we can come back to that a little bit later. But your question really is now about what are the causes of lack of desire? And, sure, Patricia, this is a tricky question because it comes down to, you know, what makes up um, female sexuality. And this, um, and most men will attest to this, is an exceptionally complex um, phenomenon and really has many different working parts which interact with it. There's the biological and physiological way in which the body works and how it changes with age and changes with childbearing, child-rearing, menopause, and various illnesses and medications which can impact on the body. It's also affected by society, social norms, cultures, the types of uh, ways in which society thinks about sex is incredibly important as to how we ourselves think about sex, and that's for men and women. Um, And then there's also the relationship that that woman has, has to it finds herself in. The, the nature of the relationship, the bond, the, the structure, the nature of communication, how intimacy is experienced within that relationship are core factors which are influencing the levels of desire as they fluctuate in the course of a relationship. And then there's a whole lot of other things which you would predict. The length of a relationship is also incredibly important. We know that uh, in the initial stages, of a relationship, months or maybe a year or two, the flame burns very hot. Um, and then thereafter, domesticity takes over and the routines of everyday life. And this is a very clear phenomenon, which will be known to many of your listeners, that the routines of everyday life, the kinds of things you have to do, the domestic regularities, take away spontaneity, take away a bit of danger, and they really do cause desire as a whole just to fan out altogether. So multiple reasons, and we can go into any of those domains, um, you know, personality structures and mental health also plays a, a large part, um, and various other things that can happen to, to women in terms of illness processes, diseases, trauma operations. So you can see it's really, really many, many different things that can impact on desire and um, uh, the, the whole nature of this arousal desire and arousal disorder, which, which we're talking about this evening. So, A-Team, is, it's Women's Month, right? And we are not trying to shame the ladies, but we're trying to find ways that ladies can be assisted, whether in homosexual or um, bisexual or um, heterosexual relationships, so that women can get emancipated in every facet of their lives. So, if you're a lady, please, I want to hear from you. If you've ever experienced that point in your life where your sexual drive has just gone down so much and you don't know what to do with yourself. I'm sure today we'll get some, you know, some some ways to to, to cure it or to, to be able to uplift you. Um, so call in, share the experience. And guys, you heard, life can be tough. Some of the elements that cause uh, sexual uh, arousal disorder could possibly come from the daily mill of life you know that daily run and you're tired and you know body image mental health issues so you need to be patient with us but if you're a guy and you've experienced such with your partner call in 011-714-2006 or whatsapp 0614-104-107 this 80 anonymous says oh that one is too 
personal. I can't imagine sitting on the chair, opening my legs for someone, yo, only for my boyfriend uh, who can see down there. So clearly this A-teamer, even if they had a problem, they wouldn't go to a medical practitioner to get it sorted out. So for a woman who says, I'm experiencing uh, sexual arousal disorder, how can they get treated? Do they have to go immediately to see a practitioner? No, Patricia, they, they don't necessarily need to. Um, there's a lot of you, what you could even call just folk wisdom. There's, there's so much information about sex out there at the moment. And in fact, that, that can be a problem because it can raise your expectations to um, proportions which are not realistic and in fact add to the problem. But there are reliable sources of information and often um, you know, the, the kind of information that people need in order to improve their sex life is really straightforward. It's a bit of what we call psychoeducation or sex education. It's a little bit about knowing how the body works, being familiar with their own bodies. You'd be surprised how many women there are who aren't familiar with their own bodies. And one of the ways in which women become familiar with their own bodies as they grow up is through masturbation. And if you are able to find your own way through to the path of pleasure, then you usually know what it is that gives you pleasure and you know how to find it. So, you know, what, 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 what often is the first thing to do is to understand your body and get to know it. And there's so many wonderful resources online which will save you the shame of having to go to speak to a professional. You know, that's the basics. And then know a little bit about your sexual response. And how does the human body, how does the human um, how, how does the human, how do the human organs respond to sexual cues? And what are your specific cues which, which cause you to feel sexual? And I think maybe at this point it's worthwhile talking about the two different types of ways in which women will respond to sexual cues. We call them the first spontaneous and the other responsive. And there's, there's a difference between these two because often um, a woman will think that if they don't feel spontaneously sexual, that is that they see somebody that they're attracted to, they immediately feel all those feelings of being sexual and high desire. And if they don't have that, it means that they don't have libido, that they don't have the capacity to feel sexually aroused. But what happens in practice is that if you're open to being aroused, even if you aren't feeling desire at that particular time, if you open yourself up to that possibility and you engage in sexual activities, the fires start to get planned and the flames start to express themselves. So then desire emerges. And that's a, a different kind of, um, of desire, one which um, is, is really um, somewhat unexpected. And, and it's, it's, it should be empowering for women to know about this because it doesn't mean that they have to be spontaneous and sexual all the time they can be what's called receptive so it's that they are responsive and receptive to cues uh, so they don't have to wait until they feel highly sexual to initiate sexual activity now i've also heard that uh, some contraceptive methods for women um, do tend to lower the libido and sexual arousal um, becomes a challenge is this true yeah well it's it's, it's a good question because for most individual women, they won't necessarily experience it like that. There will be some who clearly experience it. That's with oral contraceptives, which um, will suppress the normal, um, you could call it um, hypothalamic ovarian 
cycle where there's a normal range of hormonal influences working on the ovaries and the uterus to allow monthly the monthly cycle to occur. And what a, a, an oral contraceptive does is it um, replaces that. It kind of overrides it, still giving you a period, but still, uh, but actually overriding the underlying uh, sources of of the messaging. You could say now, subtly, there is some change in libido. Libido is diminished by the oral contraceptive. But it's a subtle effect, and there's many, many women who do use the oral contraceptive with no libido changes whatsoever. But if you're a person who happens to be struggling with low libido and you're on an, on an oral contraceptive, you must consider that this could be playing a part. Let me go to Asanda. A.T. Asanda, good evening. Good evening, Sister. How are you doing? I'm strong. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Good to hear your voice, and I'm happy that you're strong, right? Can I shoot my shorts? Go ahead. All right. So, yeah, I think as it relates to the topic there, I have a question. But I think first, before I ask the question, I really want to look at it this way to say that most of the times I think that it's how women are taught sexuality in general from the word gonje to the schooling system, how you are taught that in order for you to arrive at a point of pleasure, someone else must do something to you. It's never the case that, you know, you have control, you have claim, you can uh, take control of the territory and please yourself. You know, while you are with someone, you have every right, just like men do have rights, to actually um, get into your body and pleasure you. You have as much a right to actually ensure that you have um, say to what happens inside of you or what you do inside the other person, if I'm making sense, yeah? So I think that's just the one part that I wanted to highlight. It's how sexuality is just taught. And secondly, I think what could contribute to um, uh, low libido in women is, of course, uh, childhood trauma. And I've experienced this with uh, a lover of mine, uh, and we could certainly attribute this to childhood trauma. So some of the things that happened to people when they were young, uh, someone really fondling with them in, in an inappropriate manner could actually affect the way they, they view themselves, you know, get tarnished and blemish their self-worth, you know. When it comes to issues of, of sex and actively engaging, they feel sort of like shy and, you know, uh, they, they, they can't move away from how the, their first introduction to this activity really is now still impacting how they, they are to act with you. What are, are my solutions then? I think as a homosexual, lesbian, black lady, I think that it's so important then to um, introduce a number of techniques to desensitize the lover. One of those would, of course, be, uh, I think, uh, sex toys. Uh, and I think uh, sex toys gradually introduced, you know, not to bring, you know, sex toys that would scare the person, to really desensitize them to the idea of um, pleasure. One of those, let's say, then putting aside the sex toys, is just I- introducing the principle of self-pleasuring, to allow the person to just imagine whatever they want to imagine until they get to the point where they really feel, hey, I, I-, I think I saw Jesus somewhere, and that's where we need to get, and we take it from there. Thank you. Asanda, you, you, Hello, you once told us that you're a social worker, right? Yeah. So it's easier for you to sort of like understand when your partner is, um, you know, going through some issues sexually, and it's easier for you to to map out and and work with them. But if you were the one experiencing this, how would you like your partner to, you know, to to deal with it? 
Um, because sometimes I, if I'm having a problem, I'm so apprehensive. I don't want someone to point it out. So how, yeah, how, how should we be pointing it out to each other? Yeah, you know, I think the idea is not to point it out in a, it's not to problematize, to say that, you know, I think you have an issue with this. No, the idea is to actually, I think, I also think it depends on the dynamics of the relationships, like age difference and things like that. So say you have a lover that is perhaps uh, younger than you, right? So it, it's easier for you to do some form of mentoring in the relationship without making them feel shame. Then when you have a lover who has, uh, for example, your, your, your same age, uh, it could actually um, be quite difficult. But the idea is to really talk about how the, 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 there shouldn't be any shaming with the very act of sex itself. Uh, to introduce language like sex is filthy, it's ugly, that's what, that's what it is. There's a rhythm and pace in the bedroom that's not necessarily as neat as the way we need to show up in the world where we iron our clothes and all of that. So you just have to be un- Riddled and just be, you know. So I think it's one of the ways you just allow them to be, to show love the way that they would show love, and to not shame them. You know, if they get tired easily, they do not show an interest in the second round, or if they they last maybe for shorter periods of of um, time in intimacy, that is still okay. To to just go with the flow and to gradually, you know, look at ways in which you can introduce other techniques, such as role play. You know, sometimes you can allow them to be the man in the relationship in the in the homosexual space it's quite easier to do that to say okay today do you want to play the guy you know do you, what, what role do you want to play and as you tap into this you know you actually deal with other parts of their anxiety in the space you know they kind of like have a stage fright when it comes to uh, sex and that's what you want to deal with hi asanda you are very well versed in these things i'm glad that uh, your sex life is so vibrant thank you very much for sharing dr smith would you like to well weigh in Sure. I'm so impressed, Asanda. I, um, she covered so many really important, wonderful points over there. And, and it's, it's hard to know really where to begin after what she said. And I think um, the first thing that she had mentioned was, which I think covers so, so much, is the, the woman's right to be able to claim pleasure and to uh, feel good about herself in, in experiencing pleasure. And uh, you, when you're in a partner's sexual activity, you, you try to balance your own needs with somebody else's needs. And you, if you're able to understand that you can get the balance between the two and that you are allowed to feel pleasure yourself and you can claim that pleasure and be in that pleasure yourself, and then there's a reciprocal way whereby you can give your partner pleasure and then you're not so tied up so that it's a rigid type of uh, relationship, that there's flexibility around of that. And then tied in with all of that wrapped into it was something else Asanda talked about was the whole concept of shame and judgment. Because this is the thing which really, really constricts and reduces people's capacity to feel pleasure in, in sex. Um, shame is like a great uh, black toxic poison which makes people close up, hide, hide themselves, hide themselves from themselves and from their sexual partners and really stops them from being able to release. And the sources of shame, unfortunately, are everywhere. They're in society, they're in your partner, the, the, the view of the partner. If your partner is shaming you, um, making you feel uh, distressed because of the way they look or, or, or regard you or treat you. Um, and also there's just so much shame that people have internalized that they have, and they turn on themselves from the inside. And sometimes it's a very, very long process whereby 
you can unpick that shame in order to free yourself. And that then takes us through also to what happens with traumas that people experience and childhood traumas in particular. And there's a few things that happen in childhood traumas which make sexual activity very difficult. The first is that this feeling of shame that you bought something bad upon yourself because you deserved it somehow is one of the most awful, wrong-minded things that people often think. Um, and really, it's a, it's a really awful thing, which, which somehow slowly through therapy, through experience, and through understanding and widening of the mind, one is able to, to, to put aside um, because, because of that internalized shame. And then there's, there's the other thing which we haven't talked about, which is pain syndromes. Because if you've had a bad experience, and maybe it's through childbirth, through an operation, through a, uh, an STI of some kind, then you, you experience your pelvic and genital area as a negative area. And if that pain that you have there continues for a while, your brain becomes involved as well in your whole body so that you can develop these chronic conditions whereby there's a clench and a tightness and a feeling almost of being aware of there being a danger should something sexual come close to it. And often that kind of difficulty um, really requires quite, um, quite a lot of help if at the most extreme ends of it. You know, the kind of help that, that, that medical practitioners all professionals are able to give you. But um, I have to say that in just to come back to what Asanda said, really a lot of usefulness there, care for your partner, um, the mentoring, the adaptation, and the capacity to use your imagination and to be flexible in your way of relating sexually to your partner is one of the great um, ways of being able to maintain um, your sexual interest and also your, your sexual bond and to remain interested through long relationships. Um, so a lot of really wise advice there. And I think, you know, sometimes as, as women, we tend to forget that sexual pleasure is not only based on uh, you having a partner, whatever uh, sexual orientation you might have, but it's also how y you enjoy yourself. So if you are so shy and you were taught about sex in, in, in a shameful way or you've had a, a traumatic experience sexually, you, you tend not to even have solo pleasure that is is healthy and mm. and and women feel ashamed of such things but they can be liberating they liberate you even when you're with a partner absolutely absolutely and i think the, the use of sex toys the use of tasteful erotica or some forms of pornography um being able to stimulate your mind so that you are able to kind of envisage and understand and think think sexually because you, you, one can shut yourself down to the, to, to the sexual world altogether um, through these walls of shame and stigma. And if you don't, if you don't use it, your mind is like a, your sexual mind is like a muscle. If you don't use it regularly, it atrophies and it falls away a little bit. So, self pleasure, the use of creative self pleasuring without shame, is is really a way to take control and. Um, some degree of mastery of your own sexuality and of course partnered unpartnered whichever genders uh, whatever form of sexuality you know all of this is a very very what's normal for humanity is so broad that there's virtually nothing which is not normal uh, which is incredibly important and liberating to keep in mind let's go to a team of Philemon on the line uh, good evening Philemon evening Pat and the doctor as well as the fellow learners 
Uh, listeners, sorry, listeners. Um, I got the question to the doctor there. Go ahead. Can uh, the doctor contextualize the issue of uh, fertility, whether being highly fertile or low fertile? Can that also play a role in terms of uh, low sexual drive in, in females? Dr. Smith, can you respond to that while we still have Philemon on the line? Patricia, maybe you could just um, repeat that for me, if you can. He's asking, uh, um, what role does fertility play in a woman's sexual uh, life and sexual drive? One who has a high or a low fertility, does it affect or impact on their um, sexual drive? Not specifically. There there isn't a specific relationship, you know, whether you are... Like, for example, if if somebody is very highly sexed, it doesn't mean that they are more fertile. If they they have lower libidos, it doesn't mean that they're less fertile. That does, there's no direct response, but there is some type of relationship insofar as a woman, for example, who is um, you know with a partner, they're trying to get um, trying to become pregnant, and after quite a long time, she is frustrated. Both both the, the couple are frustrated and not having success. One can imagine that problems arise between the partners or she maybe gets anxious or a little bit low and depressed. And as a result, her libido um, settles down and uh, becomes a little bit lower. Um, so in that way, you can see how one can affect the other. But the essence of fertility, insofar as you, your capacity to have a baby, is something really um, separate and independent overall, if you look at it as a whole. Philemon, does that answer your question? Yes, exactly, correctly, yes. Excellent. Thank you very much, Philemon. Um, I'm going to go to a quick break. When we come back, there's a very interesting question here around orgasms. At SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. Closet Conversations. Remember, no one under the age of 18 should be within this closet. Uh, It is quite a steamy one. We are talking female sexual problems and obviously trying to get the solutions. Our guest is Dr. Anthony Smith, who's a family physician and a medical sexologist. You can uh, still send us messages on 0614-104-107, questions and comments, or you can call in on 011-714-2006. Dr. Smith, this one is quite interesting. Um, Mm. This Said, says, I had a partner who would orgasm two to three times in one round. Now I have a partner who has never experienced an orgasm, but for her to talk about it is a problem. Sex is just not her thing. Sex is like one is violating her. I always stop most of the time to ask if she's okay. I'm very open. I make women feel free around me, but my current is difficult. Why don't some women experience orgasms? Sure, Patricia. So that's that's a that's a difficult one. I think there's there's two things that strike me about this example. The first one is that people are very very different and naturally different. Some some women, and there's a large percentage of women who just don't have never actually had an orgasm before. Uh, they've never experienced it for a variety of different reasons. It may be biological reasons, but often it is cultural reasons. Um, or, or just the fact that the way that they are physiologically built makes it harder to be able to achieve orgasm. Um, and 
then there's very there's some women who are just able to do it much much more easily. So there's a wide variation, and it's not about normality. Now, if the partner of the the, the caller has only recently, or there was originally a time early on in her life where she was able to reach orgasm much more easily and much more um, much more frequently, then one could argue that something has happened. And that would then maybe indicate that there's a problem which would need to be addressed. But the second issue which does strike me is that the caller has had two different experiences which have magnified the difference between these two women. So if you just for a second think about it, I want the caller to imagine if his current partner was his first partner that he had, that he'd never, ever had the other partner, so he didn't actually know what another partner was like. And he then wouldn't really be comparing, I imagine, and as a result, um, his sense of maybe frustration or difficulty or you know, trying to understand it would also be quite different. But as things stand for the meantime, there's probably some degree of response which is biological and inherent to his current partner, but there may be other aspects which are causing her difficulty which can be addressed. And these could be related to the relationship, they could be related to her own cultural background, the way that she thinks about sex. Does she have a relationship with sex, which means that she's comfortable with her own pleasure? Um, and, and these are all things, obviously, which are difficult to talk about with, with your own partner. And it does seem that she has the fact that she's difficulty, she has difficulty in expressing and talking about the subject suggests to me that there are some blocks and some difficulties that she has in actually confronting some of these problems. So it may just be that something is needed to open this up and maybe she needs to speak to a therapist who's a female who she would feel a little bit more comfortable about to start exploring this and to get permission to think and talk about it and then to open up to her partner. Um, but the longer this kind of situation continues, it can often cause difficulties in the relationship with partners and they start to imagine all kinds of things about each other which then further compound the problem and make it even worse so i would advise a gentle discussion with his partner this uh, this caller uh, and if that's not working out maybe to persuade her to speak to um to to somebody to talk about it if she sees it as a problem she may see this as normal and may not see it as a problem and it may be her normal so once again, it's, uh, it's trying to strike a balance between what is normal, because there's such huge variation amongst all of us, we're so unique in ourselves, and what could potentially be coming in the way of their sexual relationship and their sexual compatibility. Dr. Smith, can we not um, you know, forget that this uh, A-teamer said he has had a partner who used to have two to three orgasms in one round. I, I don't know how long one round is, but... Is this not like some sort of like phenomenon? One woman somewhere in the world can have two to three orgasms. This sounds like an amazing thing to happen. It doesn't happen. Uh, yes, I mean, it does. Lucky girls. I, I, mean, I, I don't know. We, you know, I'm not sure. It's very hard to know precisely if this was you know, every time, sometimes. Um, I, I mean, it's very hard to know. But if we take uh, the story at face value, there certainly are some women who are incredibly in touch with their own 
sense of pleasure, their sexuality. They know themselves very, very well. They know what it is that's going to give them pleasure. And they have that capacity. So I'm, um, I mean, I, I think at face value, then I would say that, that there certainly are people. But it's not the norm. It's not like finding itself in the middle of the average population. And certainly anybody out there listening to this who's feeling that that's not their experience doesn't feel bad in any way because um, this is not average by any stretch. But nevertheless, um, it's, it's definitely not a benchmark to compare anybody else or any other partner with. Well, our A-team Sandra sends a message and says, it does happen. Clearly, <laughs> she is well liberated. Um, Doc, you spoke about the pelvic, um, you know, or, or genital pelvic uh, pain disorder. Uh, and uh, can you just quickly take us through what treatment options are available for a woman who's experiencing this? Okay, so, I mean, that's, that's um, it's a big subject, um, but very, very briefly, I'm going to go through, go, go through it with you. So it, it, the, the essence of it is that there is a, a feeling of discomfort or pain which often prevents penetration uh, or makes it extremely uncomfortable such that normal intercourse can't happen. And uh, the, the first thing that has to, has to happen is a gynecological examination to be able to exclude a particular organic cause, you know, whether it be a skin condition, whether it be a vaginal or cervical condition, an infection of some kind, um, something which is clearly um, a pathology which can be treated by a medical person. So that's the first thing that one needs to do. But if it's the case that there is no clear medical condition to treat, then you, you need to take a slightly more wider approach. And this encompasses quite a lot of different types of modalities because if it's a chronic pain, and we're talking now about pains that are there persistently over a period of time, one has to almost train the pelvis that it's a safe place because it's clenched and it's tight and it's learnt somehow over a period of time that the muscles are, they, they are, they, they are overreactive and need to almost find a way of relaxing. Now, there are hormonal treatments, there are um, antidepressants-type medications, nerve modulators, creams, a variety of medical treatments which can be utilized, which are very helpful. Physiotherapists who specialize in pelvic floor treatments are also very good because what they allow people to do is to get to know their pelvic floors and they work with them in order to help to relax and learn how to relax in a progressive and safe way so that they can kind of almost get the messages that are coming from their brain and their nervous system to stop pulsing so, so strongly. And then there's also various psychological therapies, specifically cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a way of being able to, in your mind, uh, be able to lessen the effects and the fear and all the various associations that you may have to negative experiences that you may have had due, due to the, the painful pelvis that you're experiencing. Um, and then there's couples counseling, which also is, uh, is very, very useful. But it can take, if you've got an established um, genitopelvic pain problem, which has been there for a long, long time, you have to be quite patient because it can take, take a, a, a fair amount of time to improve. And it's best that you seek out the help of what are called multidisciplinary teams. These are people who work together, like a doctor or a gynecologist and a physiotherapist and a psychologist who often are very experienced in working together to help these kinds of problems. So there's definitely help for you if this is a particular issue that you're facing.
Ladies, you heard that. There is help so that you can start enjoying your sexual life. Uh, get liberated. Dr. Smith, thank you very much for joining us. Can you please give us contact details? Great pleasure, Patricia. Thank you. Just Dr. Smith, Dr. Anthony Smith, is my website, and you'll find all my details on the website. Excellent. Thank you very much, Dr. Anthony Smith. Have a Always great Always a pleasure. Thank you. A-teamers, after everything that this day has been, we are still grateful and uh, we are still happy and I think now more liberated, right? Um, Messages are still coming in. Um, And this one says, I'm concerned about my partner. We're both in our 60s. She craves for multiple.